0: Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to see you tonight. Uh, My name's name's Kevin, one of the ministers here. We're going to spend some time looking at John chapter 8 together, so it'd be great if you had that uh, open uh, before you. Uh, If you want to take out your sermon outline, you can write down an outline, uh, two points, fathers and freedom, and then point to the eternal son. Uh, before we uh, get stuck into God's Word, I just wanted to give you a little update on yesterday. So yesterday was our centenary celebration at Carleton Public School, and uh, there was lots of people from across the congregations, including this one, uh, who came and volunteered to help cook the barbecue and to chat to people. Uh, and it was a really fantastic day. It was really great to see people who came uh, and gave their time to come and serve at the school community, we uh, were able to invite lots of people to Kids' Holiday Club, which was a great thing. And uh, just really thankful for all those who've served on that day. But let me lead us in prayer again as we come to God's Word and ask for His help as we seek to understand it. So let's join together in prayer. Uh, Father, we do give You thanks that we can meet together tonight as Your people. Father, we pray that You'd help us to understand Your Word, that we would see the freedom that You have given us in Jesus, and that we might continue to trust in You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage that we're looking at tonight raises the topic of freedom. Now, freedom is an interesting kind of idea because it's the kind of thing that people disagree over, uh, disagree what it really means. So a common definition of freedom comes from the, well, the Rolling Stones song, right? I'm free to do what I want any old time, right? For lots of people, freedom is that you can live in the way that you want, There's no limitations, no constraints, you can just do what you want whenever you like. But I guess the question we have to ask, is that really freedom? I mean, one of the things that we'll see in our passage is there are some people who say they are free, when actually, in reality, they are slaves. And we'll also see that there are some people who may be slaves, and yet they can find true freedom. And so hopefully tonight, then, as we look at John chapter 8, we'll begin to see what God thinks about freedom, so that we might rejoice rightly in the freedom that he gives us in the Lord Jesus. But before we look at the details of the passage, it's just worth remembering the particular time and place that Jesus is speaking these things. So if you remember right back in chapter 7, seems like a a long time ago, uh, Jesus was up in Galilee in the northern region. Uh, and he's come down to the city of Jerusalem for this big religious festival, uh, the festival of the, the tabernacles. Uh, so there's lots of Jews that have come to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus went there secretly, in fact, but halfway through the festival, he began to publicly teach uh, in the temple. Uh, and by this time, he said many things. And in fact, when we come to verse 31, we see that Jesus now is particularly speaking to the Jews who had believed in him. So as Jesus has been teaching, saying these many things, some have come to believe in him, uh, and now Jesus addresses them in verse 31. And he says to them, well, to the Jews who had believed him, he says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Now, of course, the point of what Jesus is saying, the reason he's saying it is pretty obvious. He wants these Jews who believed in him Well, they want them, sorry, he wants them to continue to hold to their word, to hold to his word, to continue to believe in him so that they might show themselves as true disciples. But the fact that Jesus says this does raise the possibility that there will be some people who, well, look good at the beginning, who believe in Jesus and yet do not continue in his words. There will be some who look like disciples and yet, actually, they are not. And I guess it's a, just a bit of a challenge for us, isn't it, as we keep coming to John's Gospel each week at church. A challenge that well, we would be true disciples, those who continue in the words of Jesus. But having given this challenge to the Jews who had believed, what does Jesus say to them? Well, verse 32, look there. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you Now, these are, I think, wonderful words in John's Gospel as Jesus offers us freedom. Uh, And we'll we'll come back to this uh, a little bit later to think about the implications for us. But first, we really want to take some time now to understand how does this fit with the context? right? How does this fit with the people that Jesus is speaking to, particularly these Jews who believed in his name? Because what's a little bit kind of ominous is is Jesus says to them, right, you must continue in my word. Then he says, you will find freedom. But the next thing that happens is that the Jews say to Jesus, I don't want your freedom. The freedom that you offer, I don't want it because, well, we are not slaves. We've never been enslaved to anyone because because we are descendants of Abraham. And it's their objection that really kind of sets up the conversation that follows now, the conversation that follows, it can be a little bit tricky to follow at times, so I've got a bit of a, a PowerPoint slide to help us kind of work out the, what's going on. Uh, and we see there's kind of two questions that are raised at the beginning. The first question, are you free? Uh, and the second question of who is your father? Right, so verse 33 tells us that for the Jews of John chapter 8, they say they are free. They've never been enslaved to anyone. And why is that? Because they have Abraham as their father, right? Pretty straightforward. Except Jesus says to them, "Well, actually, you're wrong, right? You're wrong on both counts." So, verse thirty-four, he responds to these Jews and says, "I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin." Now, of course, sin describes the way that we well we fail to live in the way that God intends, right? We fail to love Him with all our lives, and we fail to love others. And it's a problem for everyone. It's a problem for us. It's a problem for the Jews, back in John chapter 8. And so because of this, well, Jesus says, everyone who commits sin, they are a slave to sin. So the Jews in John chapter 8, they say they're free, but Jesus says, no, you are not free. You are a slave to sin, Now he'll come back to the question of their father in a moment. But first, Jesus says something about himself. And that's what we see in verse 35 and 36. So verse 35, he says, A slave, a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Now, what we'll see in the passage is as Jesus talks about the Son, he's talking about Himself. Right? He is the Son in the household of God and that God is his Father. And Jesus says he's not a slave. No, he is a son forever, which means that Jesus, he has God at his Father, and he is free, right? He is a son who is truly free. And this is important because verse 36, he says, therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free, right? Jesus' offer of freedom is tied to his identity. But coming back to the Jews for a minute, remember they've said that Abraham is their father. They are descendants of him. But have a look at what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, I know you are descendants of Abraham. Right? He says, Look, I, I know you're kind of physically descended from him. You know, you can trace back on, you can go on genealogy.com, right? And you can see that Abraham is your father. Yes, yes. But actually, you are not true descendants of Abraham because you don't act in the way that Abraham does. See, what he says, verse 37, he says, you are not true descendants of Abraham. Why? Because you are trying to kill me. Now, that's quite a striking thing to say, isn't it? When you think back to verse 31, Jesus is speaking to these Jews who had believed in him and now Jesus says of them... Well, you are trying to kill me. But why is that? Why are they trying to kill him? Well, Jesus says, because, back in verse 37, my word is not welcome among you. Now, that's a bit ominous, isn't it? Jesus had said to these Jews, you must continue in my word. But now he says, well, my word is not welcome among you. And so the point of what Jesus is saying is he's saying, well, you are not true descendants of Abraham because you do not accept the one that God has sent. You have a different father. And that's the point of verse 38. Jesus says of himself, I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father. God, he acts like his father, but in contrast to Jews, you do what you have heard from your father. The implication is it's not Abraham, but a different father. And we'll see who Jesus has in mind in a moment. So Jesus has denied both of the things they've said, but now it's the Jews' turn to speak, and uh, they say, well, no, Abraham is our father, right? And that's the particular question they focus on. So you can see that in verse 39. They say, our father is Abraham. But now it's Jesus' turn to speak and he says, no, right? Abraham is not your father because you don't act like him. Abraham was one who trusted in God. And we saw that in Genesis 15, didn't we? That Abraham accepted the word of God, the promise that came to him. And so Jesus says of the Jews in John chapter 8, verse 40 and 41, he says, Abraham Sorry, verse 40, he says, Now you're trying to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. So Jesus says you have a different father. You are not truly descended from him. But now it's the Jews turn to speak again, and they say, sorry, they say, hang on, they say, Abraham is our father. All right, verse 41, they say, We weren't born of sexual immorality. And it seems for these Jews, they're still thinking of kind of physical descent. They're saying we're not illegitimate children, right? We are true descendants of Abraham. But actually, they go one step further here. They say, well, verse 41, they say, we have one father, God. Because they're descended from Abraham, Abraham's sort of part of the family of God by extension. They say, well, God is our father, right? They've upped the stakes, but what does Jesus say? He says, No. No, Abraham is not your father, and certainly God is not your father. In fact, verse 42 if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. But here's where the rubber really hits the road because Jesus says, God is not your father, not Abraham. But in fact, he says, The devil is your father. Look there, verse forty-four. He says, "You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires." Now, it's it's hard to imagine a more offensive thing for Jesus to say, right? Not only has he said you're not actually true descendants of Abraham, right? That's kind of bad enough. He then says, "Your father is the devil," right? That's a pretty full-on thing to say. But why does he say it? Well, because you act like your father. Right? Verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. What we see that, well, the devil, he is on the side of lying. Sorry, oh, sorry. he's on the side of lies. In fact, he's described as the father of lies in this passage, which is the opposite of the truth. And because the Jews have not accepted Jesus, because they have not continued in his word, it shows that they are not on the side of truth, but on the side of falsehood. They are on the side of lies because they reject the one whom God has sent. But in contrast to this, see, Jesus is the one who speaks the truth. Right? Verse 42, he's been sent from God. Verse 45, he tells the truth. Verse 46, he tells the truth. Verse 47, he's been sent from God. Jesus is the one who's come from the Father to reveal the truth. And the sad thing is, is that these Jews, well, they have not continued in his words. In fact, as we'll see, they'll act just like their father who was a murderer from the beginning. And it's kind of tragic, isn't it, to see these Jews who started out believing in Jesus. But as the passage has continued, we see that they will not accept who he is. But I just want to pause there for a moment and just to think a little bit about how this passage applies to us as we think about our own context. Right? If we put ourselves on the table as Christians, we can ask those same two questions. Well, are we free And who is our Father? Well, first of all, if we go back to verse 34, remember what Jesus said there. He said, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. See, the reality for us right, is we know that we commit sin, that that we're guilty of this. Sin is a problem for everyone. And so what this means is by nature, we are slaves of sin. But, of course, the good news of the Gospel is, as we turn to Jesus, right, we find forgiveness for our sin. We find that we can be freed from the, the penalty of our sin. And so, as Christians, we can actually say, yes, yes, we have found freedom in Jesus. But what about the question of our Father? Well, again, because we all, by nature, are sinners, because, by nature, we reject the truth of God, Well, by nature, well, like the Jews, we're on the side of falsehood. We have the devil as our father. But the good news is, is that God in his kindness has has chosen to adopt us into his family. As we turn to Jesus, we find the forgiveness for our sin, and we we know that we can call God our father just in the same way that Jesus does. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus sort of doesn't really kind of spell this out, that for us as Christians, we can call God our Father. Though I think it is kind of implied that we can relate to him in the same way as the Son. But it is very clear in John's Gospel, right? So John chapter 1, going back to the beginning, we see this. But to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. And so the great news is, as we turn to Jesus, well, we can know God as our Father, I just want to come back to that first question for a moment because that seems to be one of the distinctive things in this passage, right? this promise of freedom for those who come to Jesus. And I guess the question is, well, what does it mean to be free? What is freedom according to God? Because I think the reality is is that there are times for us as Christians that we look out at the world and we are jealous Right? There are times that we look out at our world and we see people singing the Rolling Stones. right? I'm free to do what I want any old time. We see people outside just living according to what they want to do. And we can, I think, if we're honest, we can feel jealous. Particularly when we think of the Christian life and the seeming obligations and rules and duties that come. But it's at times like this we need to continue in the word of our Lord, continue to trust that he speaks the truth and to see the reality that actually our world is enslaved. Our world is enslaved to sin as people are bound to follow their selfish and sinful desires. And what we need to see is that true freedom, freedom according to God, is to live according to our purpose, the purpose given to us by our Creator. See, so if you want to see true freedom, if you want to see what that looks like, then we need to look to the Son, the one who is not a slave, but who is a son forever in the household of God. Right, Jesus He is the one person, not guilty of sin, the one person who is truly free. And yet if you look at Jesus, as you see his life played out in the Gospels, one of the things that really characterises him is that he is obedient to his Father. In fact, everything he does is to please his Father in heaven. And what we see is that this is freedom according to God. Freedom is not just doing whatever we want but freedom is being able to live according to our purpose that we might obey God and live to please Him. But as we look to Jesus then, as we see the man who is truly free well we could ask the question, well are we free in the same way? Can can we really say, as the slide says that we are free? And I think The answer is, well, kind of yes, but also not yet. See, it's interesting, I think. Go back to verse 32 with me for a moment, right? Notice what Jesus says is said in the future. Verse 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so the question is, for us as Christians, as we live after the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, has that been fulfilled? Or is it something that we still look forward to in the future? See, in some ways we can say, well, we know the truth, right? We know the truth of who Jesus is. But then are we free? Are we free in the way that Jesus speaks about? And the answer is, well, kind of yes, but not yet. See, in some senses now we are free, right? Because of what Jesus has done, we've been forgiven for our sin that the penalty of sin no longer applies, that the power of sin has lost its sting because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we can be confident of this because it is the Son who sets us free. But on the other hand, we still wait. I mean, the reality is for us as Christians is that sin is still an issue for us. We continue to, to trip up and sin still entangles us and so we wait we wait for the day when we will be truly free uh, and the new heaven and the new earth when jesus returns see this is our hope as christians right we look forward to an eternity where we will be free to live according to our purpose in obedience to our father in heaven in the way that he created us to be right this is the glory of our future that we look forward to the day we will be truly free. But then while we wait, well, let us not lose heart. Let us not despair in the struggle against sin. Let us look forward to the day we will be free. But now, well, let us seek to live according to the purpose that God has given us, with the freedom that he has given us now in his Son, that we would seek to obey him in everything that we do. But having reflected then in this idea of freedom and the and the joy of knowing God as our Father, well, that brings us then to the second part of the passage from verse 48 to 59, which talks about the identity of the Son. See, it's interesting, I think, in verse 48, there's a bit of a, a change in the tone of the conversation. Right? So far, it's really been Jesus on the offense, right? He's been the one. Speaking against the Jews, and they've been on the defence. Right? This is a state of, old, sorry, state of origin kind of example, you know. Right? But here, the, the tables are turned. Right? There's a turnover. Is that the right thing? Anyway, doesn't matter. Things are different now. Right? The Jews—they are the ones who are on the offence, and Jesus needs to defend his identity. Right? So, verse forty-eight: the Jews say to Jesus aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? It seems like the Jews have taken the two most offensive things they could say and they've stuck them together into this kind of uber insult that they kind of lob over to Jesus. See, a Samaritan, well, the Samaritans were historically Jews, but they had sort of intermarried with the surrounding nations. So the Jews, well, they hated the Samaritans, right? They thought they were impure, illegitimate. But it's not just they call him a Samaritan. They also say you have a demon, that you are spiritually impure as well. But Jesus responds, verse 49, he responds, uh, well, calmly, he says, I do not have a demon. On the contrary, I honour my father and you, you dishonour me with your insults. But notice as Jesus continues in verse 50, notice the theme of judgment in the words he says. Verse 50 says, I do not seek my glory. The one who seeks it also judges. Now, the one who seeks the glory of the Son is the Father, right? He is the one who judges. I think it's just helpful to see. I mean, the Jews can insult Jesus all they like, but the Father is the one who will judge and they will be held to account for the way that they have dishonoured the Son. But then, verse 51, Jesus continues with this great promise. Verse 51, he says, I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. Now, I think for us, as we come to verse 51, we kind of assume that Jesus is talking about eternal life, right? And that that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, this is what Jesus has said a number of times in these two chapters. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world, the one that offers life eternal, right? So for us as Christians, we will die, but, but death is not the end, right? We'll be raised to live with him. But it seems that perhaps the Jews haven't quite followed on with what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting, in fact, because when they repeat his words, they, they just change a little bit of what he said, Right. Verse 52, the Jews said, well, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. And so it's hard to know. Perhaps the Jews are thinking Jesus has said something slightly different, that the one who turns to Jesus won't even die at all. But whether that's what Jesus was saying or not, the, the point the Jews are trying to say is that the great ones of the past, Abraham, the prophets, well, they died. So is Jesus making himself greater than them when he promises life? So verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Even the prophets died. Who do you pretend to be? And it's quite clear at this point that these Jews who'd started out believing in Jesus will have not continued in his word, because now they say of Jesus, well, you are seeking your own glory. You are lying. You are making yourself greater than Abraham. And so they ask that question, who do you pretend to be? But Jesus replies to them and says, well, actually, I'm on the side of truth. I am the one who's been sent from the Father. And Actually, the truth we'll see is that he is greater than Abraham. And he comes back to the Jews and says, you know, you think Abraham is your father, but that is not the case because you do not act like Abraham. Abraham was one who trusted in God. In fact, Jesus says of Abraham, verse 56, he says, your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Now verse 56 is a little bit puzzling, isn't it? Right, just to kind of help you get ahead around the timeline, right if we put ourselves here in where are we? Over that way, 2018, right? Abraham will just say around 3000 BC if we put Jesus at 33 AD roughly. The point is that's that's a lot of years between the two, isn't it, right? And the question we ask as we see Jesus' words in verse 56, we say, how did Abraham? How could he have seen the day of Jesus? Right? How could he have seen a day so many years in advance? You know, could it be that Abraham had some special revelation, some insight into the future? Uh, is there some way that Abraham could see Jesus from the new heaven, or, or could it just be that Abraham, well, genuinely trusted God, and was told that his seed, one of his descendants, would. Fulfill the promises of God. But in any case, the the question the Jews raise is from a different direction. They say of Jesus, well, how did you see the day of Abraham? Right, verse 57, the Jews reply, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham. But here Jesus says the most outlandish thing of all. Look there, verse 58. He says, I assure you, before Abraham was... I am If we go back to our timeline for a moment you can see there's two outlandish things that Jesus says one is that he is well before Abraham right now that makes him really old right well actually as we come to John's gospel we see that Jesus is from all eternity that he is eternal that there has always been the father and the son there never was a time that the son was not but the other outlandish thing he says is those two little words at the end, that little phrase he says, I am. So if we look back in the Old Testament, right in the book of Exodus, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush and said to Moses, I want you to go and rescue my people from slavery in Egypt. Then Moses says to God and says, what, what do I say if they ask who sent me? What do I say if they ask what is his name? And here's the reply of God to Moses. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So if we come back to John chapter 8, as we see Jesus' words in verse 58, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. You see that he is identifying himself with, with Yahweh, right, with the God of the Old Testament. And it's at this point, verse 59, well, the Jews, they do not believe what Jesus has said. They think that he is glorifying himself, pretending to be something he is not, that he is guilty of blasphemy. And so you can see there, verse 59, they pick up stones in order to kill him. And of course we see at this point that they will try to kill him. They are just like their father, in fact, who was a murderer from the beginning. And they show themselves, of course, not to be true disciples who've continued in the word, but they show they're acting like their true father, like the devil. But this isn't the time for Jesus to die. You can see in verse 59, Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex. But, of course, the Jews will kill Jesus eventually. It won't take long for them to crucify him just out of the city, but that is still to come in the Gospel of John. But it's pretty sad, isn't it, to see that these Jews who started out so well believing in Jesus by the end of the chapter are seeking to kill him. But I hope for us then in contrast, well we would be people who continue to follow the word of Jesus, that we continue to trust in who Jesus is and to see that well, he is on the side of truth. He is the one who's been sent from the Father, uh, the Eternal Word who took on flesh, the true Son who is free, who comes to offer us freedom. See, the reality is that there are times I think when we become jealous of the world. There are times that we look out and we see people just living the way that they want, and if we're honest, we we can be jealous. But it's at times like this where well, we can come back to John chapter 8. We can see that our world is enslaved to sin. And we can see that true freedom is found in living according to the purpose that our Creator has given us. And we see this because Jesus speaks the truth. He is the one who has been sent from the Father. And because we know the truth of him, we know the truth that Jesus has been sent, but we know that this truth will set us free. And we can be confident in this because as verse 36 reminds us, well, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. How about I lead us in prayer? Our Father, we do give you great thanks that we can come tonight to hear the word of truth through Jesus. Father, we thank you that He was sent, the eternal Word took on flesh and came into our world. That we see the true Son, the one who is not guilty of sin, the one who offers us freedom, the one who offers us the forgiveness for our sin by his death on the cross. Father, we pray that we would be people who continue in his word, that we would continue to believe and trust in him. Father, you know the times that we are jealous of the world. And Father, we're sorry for this. Help us to see clearly. Help us to see that our world is enslaved to sin. And instead, help us to rejoice, rejoice in the freedom that you have granted to us in the Sun. And Father, we long for the day. We look forward to the day when we will be truly free. That sin will have no hold on us. And so we pray, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, and we look forward to our future and eternity where we may live, sorry, where where we may live in obedience to you. And we pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.